0: This is Alpha Geek Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser, episode number 188. I'm Veronica Belmont.
1: And I'm Tom Merritt. And
0: we are here at DragonCon 2014. <laughs> We have a fantastic live audience here in the Crystal Ballroom over at the Hilton, and I am just thrilled to see many returning faces here from the many years that we've done a live panel at DragonCon.
1: Even some Sword and Laser t-shirts in the audience. Yes, thank thank you. you. I'm particularly
0: Uh, pleased to see that.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. No, this is a a great crowd. We love coming to DragonCon, and we have a fantastic guest with us today.
0: Yes, I am super excited about this because if you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge fan of her work. Naomi Novik is here to join us today. Big round of applause. (laughs) She is, of course, the author of the Temeraire Temeraire series. Sorry, I'm getting all tongue-tied because of beer and excitement. Um, The author of the Temeraire series, which starts with His Majesty's Dragon, and uh, eight books now, is that correct? Yes,
2: that's right. Blood of Tyrants, um, which is the eighth one, just came out in mass market.
0: And number nine is due out next year? Yes.
2: Yes. (laughs) <laughs> she said. That's you know, awesome. I'm, I'm 40,000 words in. We'll see if I make it wow. in on deadline.
0: That's awesome. Are you guys big Temeraire fans? Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your your history. Oh. Well, oh, no, you're right. Yeah. What are we drinking?
1: Yes, because this is our first author guest to join us on What Are We Drinking in person.
0: I think that is right. I think that is true.
2: Um, I'm deeply honored. So also- I'm enjoying this beer so tell us tell us about your beer I am drinking Hap and Harry's original Tennessee ale which mm. is very nice it looks very fancy yes it's got a all shiny yes <laughs> we
1: have some <laughs> Hap and Harry's fans yes <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic
0: did you make her beer for her no okay it's not a not a local pro- okay gotcha
1: what are you drinking Tom I've got uh, Dos Perros Ale from Yazoo Brewery uh, it's, it's an ale and it's a good ale and it's got doggies on the cover it so does have it doggies has-
0: and I felt like because it is Labor Day weekend, uh, I feel, I'm feeling a little bit like it's time for a seasonal beer for the fall. So I went with uh, Pumpkin Ale from Blackstone Brewing Company. And it is quite delicious. Another woo? <laughs> All right. Thank you. So thank you very much for bringing us beers today. That was very generous of you. And uh, yeah, nothing like a cool beer at... Two thirty in the afternoon on a Saturday.
1: That's kind of late for Dragon God to be honest. Yeah.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah. It was,
1: it was. I hope this is not embarrassing, but we asked Naomi, like, would you like a beer or not? And she's like, no. And then she saw her the calculation. Yes, actually.
3: Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No,
0: I
2: feel like it is not too early to start drinking.
3: Yeah.
0: So as I mentioned, we have uh, we've got some questions from the audience coming. We have some questions from our forum members over on Goodreads.com. So why don't we just kick things off?
1: Sure. Uh, Let's start off with uh, what I think a lot of people might not be aware of uh, your computer science background. Yes. Uh, Tell about some of your previous life, especially around game design. I think people. Um,
2: Well, it's interesting because um, I actually started writing, uh, I was writing fan fiction as a hobby while I was working on my computer science degree and working as a programmer. Um, And I was actually. I was actually in the middle of a PhD, I finished the fun part which was taking the classes and doing coding projects and I was staring at a very large pile of reading and papers um, and having to write my dissertation and I got an offer to go work on uh, Neverwinter Nights, Shadows of Under and Tide, which uh, was just incredibly fun. Um, but and, and I actually got to do some design work on the game as well and really enjoyed the writing of it. And afterwards, after that was done, I was sort of thinking about, do I go back to school? Do I do, just go get a programming job? Sadly, computer game jobs not were not actually very thick on the ground in New York City at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I actually thought, why don't I sit down and try and write a novel? Uh, and I wrote The First Temeraire. Uh, It might have been influenced by, I will not name the company, but I went for an interview at a tech company and spent six hours interviewing there with, I think, eight people, and it was... There were ads involved, ad serving involved, and I sort of thought, "Do I really want to be writing software to deliver ads on the internet?" No, I want to be writing about dragons and the Napoleonic Wars. Yes,
1: <laughs> that is a perfectly reasonable decision to come to, although I, uh, a, a frightening one, I guess, in a way, because it's it's you're going to get paid if you take the job doing advertising. It may be soul sucking, but you know it's going to bring in a paycheck. It's risky to go off and say, "No, I want to write a book."
2: Well, I was very for I my my spouse supported me. Um, for the first Until We Sold Temeraire and um, and now actually that I write books full time I code in my spare time for fun. Really? <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome I write, I write um, code for the AO3 oh, okay. of our own And uh, that's that's what I do for fun now. So I sort of flipped.
0: You
1: just flip flopped it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: You know, I already think you're such a
0: badass, and then to think that you went from one such a a heavily male-dominated industry like game design, like programming, and then also then to go into another very male-dominated industry, which is genre fiction. um, That's that's pretty cool.
2: It was, you know, I it's just my passions, and I feel like that's I've been lucky to be able to share them.
0: So what is it about dragons that's so compelling for you? Because dragons are, as everyone knows, kind of like I'm obsessed with dragons also. And so, like, what is it about them for you that made you want to make them the focus of, of your work for so long?
2: I guess I just, I, who does not love dragons? Right. I mean, right, am I right? Dragons, yeah.
1: <laughs> and the uh, man I... stood up to take a picture. For a minute I thought he was going to be, I don't like dragons.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm the one Ew. person.
2: I'm the one <laughs> And I guess I feel like I I actually have been thinking about the Pern books, um, because I'm writing an introduction for Dragon Singer, which is going to be uh, reissued. Soon. Oh, wow. And I've just been thinking about how those books, I read them for the first time when I was about 10, and how that just really, that concept of being on a dragon, of riding on a dragon, and having that kind of partnership, really just sort of grabs hold of your imagination and your heart, and I feel that that's just that the idea of soaring through the air that kind of power fantasy and i loved the idea of taking that and then also mashing it up with the complexities um and the humor of sort of the jane austen type Mm -hmm. of relationship um and the comedy of manners well, So why the Napoleonic Wars? Because it seems
0: like you know, you're adding an extra level of complexity by doing a, an alt-history story as well on top of things. It seems like you could go total fantasy and make it its own world and then you don't have to follow any rules, but instead you're kind of following a, a, a set of historical events that you're now building onto. Um, why did you go that route?
2: I guess I really think that um, there are various answers I can give to this question. The one thing is, I think the Napoleonic Wars are a really cool time period to use dragons in because it's before you have a kind of mechanized, industrialized army and army and technology, but it's the technology is far enough advanced that humans can compete with dragons. Mm. Um, A dragon against a brace of cannon is very different than a dragon against, you know, a castle of armed knights, at least the kinds of dragons that I have. Mm -hmm. And so that makes the dragons a a powerful, but not decisive force. And that, in a way, lets me stay within sort of the, the confines of the Napoleonic Wars. And I actually like the constraint of being within history. Uh, because I feel like that adds a certain level of depth. I'm talking with my hands here, which is instinctive, and I realize that the podcast audience. It's okay. It. We do it all the time. I flail
0: about wildly constantly. It's fine.
1: They can hear it. I'm just like, right. They can hear your they hands. Can hear in my hands. <laughs> um, Interpretive depth. Have death. you ever thought about maybe not with Temeraire particularly, but telling a dragon story in another time period, either like medieval or going forward to World War I or anything like um, that?
2: I have actually written some short stories in the Temeraire universe, um, but in fact, uh, this new book, Uprooted, uh, that I've written, actually started as my decision that I was going to write a book about a completely different kind of dragon. Just, you know, I sat down to write the first paragraph was going to be, There was going to be a dragon in this book, and it was not going to be... Not Temeraire. Not Temeraire. It was going to be a different kind of dragon. Um, And I think it's quite a different dragon. So, Is there there anything you can tell us about the book yet? Um, There's actually an excerpt online, and um, it's inspired by Polish fairy tales that I grew up hearing from my mom. And it's set in a... not a historical fantasy, because it's not set actually in Poland, but it's inspired by Renaissance Poland.
0: Yes. I'm really curious to know how the dragon is different now, but I don't also don't want to spoil the book for myself or for anyone else. But
2: yeah, I, okay, it's, I can read <laughs> the, <I> <laughs> the first paragraph if you can. Oh, oh please do. Yeah. yeah <laughs> our There's dragon doesn't eat the girls he takes, no matter what stories they tell outside our valley. We hear them sometimes from travelers passing through. They talk as though we were doing human sacrifice and he were a real dragon. Of course, that's not true. He may be a wizard and immortal. But he's still a man, and our fathers would band together and kill him if he wanted to eat one of us every ten years.
1: That's so. <laughs> a hungry dragon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we read that the, a Temeraire series has been optioned. Yes. Uh, is there what? What can you tell us about that?
2: Absolutely nothing. I mean, no. I can tell you that the series has been optioned by Peter Jackson.
1: That's got to be a dream come true. It
2: was. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things, we actually, um, he optioned it before the book had been published, and uh, we just got in touch with him through my agent, and um, he, and so I couldn't tell anyone about it, and nobody would have understood, because it would have been this book that nobody had ever heard of, Mm -hmm. but so we, um, and essentially at this point it's just... You know, optioning is only the first step in a very, very yes. long and tangled process. And as you can imagine, he's been a little busy lately. <laughs> so it, it's really the, one of those things he's where you got can't... other
1: dragons <laughs> to deal with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. recently, yeah.
2: You can't... I mean, basically, it's just whatever else, whatever happens, if the movie ever gets made or not, it's still so exciting to me, just as a fangirl, that he wanted to. And yeah. And so that's, that alone is...
1: And he, he heard about it before publishing? Yeah, how does that uh, through work? Through the publisher, I guess? or um,
2: My agent you're, you're uh, has... Uh, you know, it's one of these complicated things where it went through like five different people. And gotcha. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And he was like, dragons? Tell me more.
2: <laughs> now, I know you can't probably Presumably. can't
0: talk about this too much, but we, we know that you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, and so with the work that he's done on, on that project, do you feel more excited by his potential oh, absolutely. working with it?
2: I mean, there's you know, if somebody had, if so, if somebody comes to you, if you write a book, and someone's like, all right, what's your imaginary, what's your imaginary fan casting for the movie? I didn't actually have a mental casting for the characters, and still don't. But I absolutely, you know, if somebody had said, I would have been," well, actually, I don't have a mental casting for the characters. But wow, wouldn't it be amazing if Peter Jackson directed? Yeah. And then I got the call. And I sort of didn't quite believe it at first. Right, right. You know, you're sort of like, No. And then you run around the room screaming. Screaming with your head. So so who
0: do you think at this point would play would play Temeraar? I
2: have absolutely no idea. I
0: it didn't funny. get the laughs I, I was hoping for because he's a dragon.
2: People are like, there's
1: like, like uh, who would voice him? Yeah, yeah Veronica, like, a good question. I mean, would it be derivative to do Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch again?
0: No, he doesn't have that kind of voice.
2: Yeah, no, Smaug is too mean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who, who would win in a fight? <laughs>
3: <Sorry>. <laughs>
0: between Temer and Smaug. I think Temera is smarter.
2: Somebody, um, there was an online site that did a chart of like the relative that. dragon sizes. I can't remember which, w- I know that there was like Encalagon the Black was sort of this, yeah. this terrifying thing at the end, and you're sort of looking at it being like, wait, is that actually physically possible? <laughs> no, it's a dragon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. No. I don't remember, I don't <laughs> actually remember which, <laughs> where Temera was on the chart.
1: Uh, so, will supervillains be on the final? Yes. Good to know. That's all I Absolutely. have. if <laughs> you, you have a
2: follow-up?
0: So that, uh, that's a, a graphic novel you've worked yes, on. Yes,
2: exactly. Um, with, uh, with Yi Chun-Li, who's a fantastic illustrator. And I've also written a short story in that universe, which I really love. I just love superheroes, and playing with them is a lot of fun. So that was kind of my, my little fun project.
0: Nice. And how is that process different from, I mean, obviously going into a novel, uh, well, we don't really know actually what your process is for going into a novel. Uh, It seemed like when you were talking about the new book that you kind of went into it just having a very basic idea of what you wanted to do and what you wanted to have in it. Uh, Do you typically go into your books or something like Temeraire when you first wrote it, what was it, back in 2005, 2006? 2004. 2004 2004, was when you started writing. Um, Do you go in with a total idea of what you want to do or do you kind of just let the story tell itself?
2: Usually, it varies quite a lot for each book. With the Temeraire series, at this point, um, I pretty much know already what's what's to come. I knew I, I knew in a very broad stroke sense what I where I was going by. I think the midpoint mm. of book five, and then by the end of book seven. Each time I write a new book, I find out more about what's going to happen in the next one, and now I actually. I actually wrote an outline for book nine, and then as I sat down to start writing it, I realized, no, I have to throw out the whole outline and do it all over again. But a lot of the same things remained. S- but Temeraire is different because it's been going so long, and I know the characters now. When I sit down to write something new, which actually happened to me yesterday, and I very frequently I start with one image, one idea. In this case, it was the dragon who wasn't an actual dragon. Mm-hmm. And what, and then various other things sort of agglomerate onto it. So, for instance, the Polish fairy tales caught onto it. And then I knew, after a little while of writing, I knew what time period it was set in. And I got to know the main characters. And then the story sort of formed itself. Gotcha.
1: Well, you say you, you did that yesterday. Did you start a new story. Yesterday? Yeah, I started oh, a new book yesterday
2: literally. <laughs> and in fact, I was I was it's one of those things where I posted on Twitter actually like, "Oh, flow, how I love you." Because when flow happens with writing for me, that's just it's the best magic there is. And then I was like, "Wait, I'm at a con. I guess I have to go get ready for panels <laughs> instead of holding up in my hotel room writing."
1: Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That w- I feel bad now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, just, <laughs> just go right. It. Go yeah, it. right. It's going it's going to get done.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I know what you mean about it. like when you get in the groove or something like that. It's hard to hard to get it's hard to want to put it aside cuz you're not sure you'll get it back, even though you will. In this case, you know. I
2: you know, at there's certain stories now that fear is a fear that I've lost over the years. Mm-hmm. Um not actually so much because I've Having written Temeraire has convinced me now. I believe, as I did not believe when I wrote the first one, that I would actually finish the novel. You know that there's a kind of anxiety for those of you who are writing or trying to write novels that once you prove to yourself you can actually finish a novel, it's extremely freeing. And now at this point, you know, when I was writing the first one, I literally would not stop for anything. I I was writing 14 hours a day. Because I was terrified. It was the longest thing I'd ever tried to write, mm-hmm. and I just had to go straight on to the end. But now, I no longer feel that fear about not finishing, and I don't feel the fear about losing the flow if it's something that I feel is really good. Um, it's A friend of mine calls it the crack of the bat, you know, when you know that you just hit the ball out of the park, Yeah. and when I have a story, a lot of times I sit down and I start noodling something, and I'm like, eh. And that I sort of put aside. But sometimes you really feel that sort of Yeah. And you know, I have to say it is both terrifying
0: and really reassuring that writers like you, who have done an incredible book like His Majesty's Dragon on your first novel, and, you know, even someone like Anne Leckie doing Ancillary Justice and won all the awards on her first novel, like, it's like, oh, great, these people, you know, they wrote their first novel, it turned out great, I could do that. And then it's like, Oh, but they must be like super brilliant to make that work. You know, like it gets scary because you're like, how could you possibly like do something like that on your first go? It's incredible. Well,
2: I mean, to be fair though, it was not my first go's writing. Mm -hmm. I've been writing for 10 years. You know, I've just been writing fan fiction. Mm -hmm. And I never tried to publish any of it, obviously, because it was fan fiction. But but it's not like it. You should publish it now.
0: Because that would be awesome. No,
2: you know, the thing is, fan fiction, I love actually the fan fiction gift economy and that sort of the freedom of not having to worry about how long something is. If something's not going to be like 100,000 words or longer, it doesn't kind of commercially make sense. Um, I can write a short story just for fun, but for the most part, you know, with fan fiction, if it's something that I feel like writing, I just toss it off, throw it on. I don't worry about anything and don't have a publishing process to go through.
1: What were the universes that you wrote in? That was my uh, question. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. <laughs> no, no,
2: no. I'm glad you asked. I think I've got, I've got 400 fanfic stories. <gasps> I've written in, I think, 50 fandoms. Oh my gosh. So I've written in a lot. Any, what's what's your top top three? Oh, my top three. Um, I, uh, I'd have to actually look at my page on the AO3. I think the top one was actually, um, <laughs> American Idol RPF. Um, And then uh, Supernatural, I wrote a ton in. Um, And then I just wrote a bunch in person of interest fandom before I moved on from that. Right now I'm writing Captain America. (laughs) Yes.
0: That's awesome. Do
2: you want to jump to the forums? Yeah.
1: uh, Joanna wrote us a question on the forum. Are we likely to see stories in the same universe centered on characters other than Lawrence and Temeraire, humans and dragons both, I hope, she writes?
2: Uh, Absolutely. I am going to be putting together, among other things, a fanfic, uh, fanfic, a fan art inspired book, hopefully with Subterranean Press, where a lot of fan artists submitted art to a contest. And I brilliantly held this contest just before the birth of my child. Uh, who is now three and a half. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that sort of cut into my writing time. Um, You're just now
1: coming up for errors. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and basically I finally decided I was just going to have to finish the Temeraire series itself. Um, but I have worked... The co- the sort of anchor story of that collection is going to be a uh, retelling of Pride and Prejudice in the Temeraire universe. That's so cool. Which is just... Being like crazy amounts of fun to write, but I'm going to be writing stories for that collection. Some of them are going to be set in other times, in other places. There's one a couple of artists did fantastic piece of art of Fa um, Mulan as a dragon rider, um, and so I'm going to actually try and 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 write a filk of the of the original. Poem. Oh, cool.
0: She is one of us, people. <laughs> <laughs> she is like 100% one oh, of yes. us. I love it. You belong at DragonCon, as yeah. Yes. Definitely. Uh, Terp Kristen says, uh, What's your take on audiobooks? Are you happy with the way that Simon Vance has done the narrations?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, it's so nice. I myself don't have a commute, and so I, and I can't actually, I don't have a place to listen to audiobooks myself, so I've only listened to pieces. But it's just, it's so many people who do listen to them tell me that they've come to the books through his narration. And he's just such a great artist. And it also is just, I mean, I'm sure many of you who are actually book collectors also feel the pain of having different covers. For, you know, they change the covers midstream when you're writing a long series. And so they're not consistent. And it's so nice. To have the consistent voice mm-hmm. for the audiobooks, and I'm just I'm so delighted. I'm I'm not at all
0: surprised that he brings people to the series because he's got a legion of fans all his own. I mean, I myself have picked like actually picked what to read next based on what he has narrated on Audible. So yeah, it's it's uh, I'm, I I haven't listened to the audiobooks actually. I read them all in, in book form, but it definitely seems like it would be a, a good way to go back and, and re-listen. I did we just did that with The uh, Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss actually, which I had read in Print and now going back and listening to an Audible to get those different nuances, I think.
2: Right, because it's like getting to read next to a friend. Yeah. It's getting to have a friend read it to you.
1: Yeah. We we have a a small vocal group in our our book club that that contest the value sometimes of an audiobook over print. And I don't think they're necessarily exactly equivalent. Uh, you, there are certain th- advantages to reading in print because you can scan and go back and and, and reread a line or whatever uh, but I think those nuances of inflection and being able to hear the voices and know who's talking immediately because of the change uh, definitely gives you gives you a different experience and it's just as valid yeah, yeah. Uh, Trike wrote in and said how many hours a day or week do you write
2: it Varies. Uh, well, these days actually, my schedule's become much more fixed. I have childcare for a certain amount of time each day, usually from 8:30 to 4:30, and so in that period is when I have to do most of my writing. And then, and then in the evenings, frequently I'm writing for fun. Mm-hmm. I'm writing fanfic or something else, noodling, and that's really. But it's my my own actual, what I what I would be doing if I had absolutely no constraints would be writing 12 hours a day. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you feel like writing something different like fanfic kind of gives your brain a rest and lets you refresh yourself in a way for, for continuing on with your own fiction?
2: Absolutely. Um, writing fanfic is, gives me a break. Um, making fan vids, which is something else that I like to do, is a mental break. Um looking at, you know, just sort of moving from one art form to another mm-hmm. I find is really interesting and I do, you know, working on vids, editing video and thinking about the composition um, and listening to music, those kinds of things all actually feed back in and very frequently that I find that I've made a what I feel like is a leap in my technical ability as a writer having taken a break and done something else. Gotcha.
1: I think a lot of writers struggle against the new way of doing things, and I hear I've, I've heard other authors say things like, um, you know, writing is a full-time job, and, and you need to take breaks from it, and, and and all of that. And I don't think what you're saying in any way disagrees with that. But what I'm hearing from you is something I hear more from people involved in internet culture, like podcasters, which is what I am. Uh, whereas they're good at one thing and they do that, but that's not the only thing they do, and they like to dabble in, in like you say, video and and hearing a writer say when I take a break from my writing I do other writing uh, it's not not something common
2: it's just it's a different kind of writing Um, it's a different you know commercial writing is is work and there are you know there's a lot of promotional work that you have to do there's a lot of um, you have to deal with editors you have to think about things like the cover you have to think about all sorts of aspects that you don't so much have to think about you obviously have to think about the sales um, in a way that can, if you let it, really kind of suck the joy out of writing. So in fact, for me, going back to pure non-commercial writing um, that's all about just connecting with fellow fans, and that's the other piece, which is, you know, in the fan universe for my own work, um, inevitably there's like a weird hierarchy thing that goes on because, I can say, well, no, Tamara would not do that, and I can say Tamara, right <laughs> but I like actually the the sort of the author is dead theory um, of of the participation on on the fanish level, gotcha. and and that community actually that spirit is what makes me want to write in the first place, mm-hmm. being feeling joyful about something and wanting to share it, and that's that's sort of where I come from. Yeah. All right, so I think
0: we want to open up some questions to the audience. Do we have a, a microphone, or should people just come up? This microphone mic- is mic- right there. Right there. right there, okay. So just, yeah, raise your hand, or maybe we should make a line. It's up to whatever you guys think is more efficient.
1: It's always We always need one person to uh, to be the first yeah, to Yeah, don't be up. scared. All so right, there we my go. man. Thank you. Fan of MC Allergy, right here. Um, how well, uh, How do you combat uh,
2: Rider's Block and... I mean, how often do you get it, as far as like writing the series is concerned? Uh, so, writer's block. I don't really get writer's block. What I do frequently get is distracted, and uh, the way I combat the distraction is by putting tumblr.com into stay focused <laughs> on my blo- on my browser and literally locking myself out of it. Because, sadly, Tumblr is just an evil, evil, evil time sensor. I think we all have that
0: site on the internet that's just like your go-to. Like, yeah. this is going to kill at least two hours of my time, no matter what I do.
2: Yes. And generally, I find that that's... Something like that is what I do if I don't have flow going. And the other piece that I try to do to combat writer's block is the Pomodoro technique, which I don't know if anybody knows that. It's... Um, it's a technique that basically is you work for 25 minutes and you take a break for five. And you do that four times and then you take a longer break. Mm-hmm. And it's if anybody knows, uh, you know, unfuck your habitat, they suggest doing twenty tens for cleaning your apartment. You know, you work for 20 minutes cleaning, take 10 minutes off to do just something fun. And if I'm not, if I'm struggling with flow, that frequently, just that discipline kind of usually gets me into a place where I have... Where I have it moving.
1: Um, in the overall universe with Temeraire, would they ever reach a point where dragons would not be used for war, kind of like with horses in modern day, where horses stop being used in war because, you know, a machine gun just wipes them out? Would it ever get to a point where dragons would say, be used like soft horses and taken to shows and used and things like that?
2: Oh. It's an interesting question. I ask Show dragons. I yes, like that. Yes, that would be very fun. <laughs> I actually really like the idea of there being like a bunch of dragons who do that kind of show competition. It could already yeah, exist. Right? Yeah, right now. Um, I don't think so because obviously dragons aren't intelligent and dragons like to fight where horses really don't. Um, And I think that what you'd be able to do is uh, get dragons, you armor dragons. In fact, I feel like that's probably some, the direction the Temur universe might move into is more a kind of, uh, you know, cyborgification of dragons. um, Because I think that probably the first step would be, you know, how do you build armor that can protect a dragon? How can you mount weapons on a dragon? And because you still have the advantage of like so much physical power you know why obviously like even now in the armed forces you still want generally larger stronger people doing it um and but then obviously there would be different jobs that I think dragons could do probably to some respect better than people um I think for instance dragons have a better sense of three dimensional movement so did you
0: guys hear that? Cyborg dragon. It's
2: it's Lem's big moment.
0: So we have to
1: say he's not unstuck in time. We we have
0: a pet cyborg. Well, I can't call him a pet, really. He's He's like no, no. he would not be happy to hear that. But he's half cyborg, half regular dragon. His name is Lem. Lem. It's a long. It's a long story. Is it actor
2: Stanislav? Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) Well, when you were talking, it made me think of uh, the fact that. You, you know, you're saying dragons are intelligent, so they wouldn't be treated like dumb animals. But what people have done, as as war has become more mechanized, is we we see the rise in popularity of sports. Are there any dragon sports?
2: I'm sure they would come up with some. Yeah. 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 Like dragon polo, polo, but with dragons. I was
1: thinking <laughs> rugby.
2: Rugby with dragons.
1: <laughs> Dragon rugby.
2: Dragon bowling.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with like several holes in a very large book. All
2: right. Next question.
1: Hey, um, what I would, if you already hinted at this a little bit, but I always like to ask authors what sort of authors and genres they like to read outside of the genre that they write in.
0: So outside of the genre you outside write in, what the Outside you genre You yeah. know,
2: I actually am a huge fantasy and science fiction reader. That actually... You know, something that I find that I really need in almost all of of the media that I consume, whether books or TV or film, is the kind of sense of wonder and exploration and world-building. And most frequently you get that... Sometimes you get it in historical stuff, um, but a lot of times I find what I... I find what I want from books in fantasy and science fiction. So I actually don't, I mean, I do read outside of my genre sometimes, but I really love fantasy and science fiction. And what I'm reading that's not in the genre is actually a ton of history. You know, Mm. I'm reading a ton of books about the Napoleonic Wars, about history of different countries that are in the same time period, um, different parts of the world. And that's a lot of research. I don't think of it as reading in quite the same way as I do that sort of immersive aspect.
0: Okay, we have another question. Um, a lot of authors that I've met here have talked about how even though they've gotten on bestseller lists and they've sold tons and tons of books, they still have a day job. And, it's
2: not as financially uh, <laughs> rewarding as one might think. But you're saying that you're able to write eight hours a day. So are you making enough money that you can actually live off of this? Uh, yes. I mean, I'm, I am writing full time. I do have a spouse who, um, who also works. And so, you know, together, that obviously makes it a lot easier. Um, and that's, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, right now I'm, I'm writing full time. And I'm very lucky to be able to do that. And you know, if, at some point, I wasn't able to do that, I would probably go back to coding professionally and write for fun. Okay. Another question?
0: <laughs> Surprise. It's you.
1: Uh, you had mentioned writing stories in the universe you've created with new character sets. You also mentioned uh, the Pern universe. Have you considered jumping forward to a future time and writing a new universe? many hundreds of years in the future, we might see those cyborg dragons or something (laughs) along those lines.
2: I have, and I'm definitely going to be right. I I actually have written a short story called In Favor With Our Stars, which is actually, it's not a jump forward, it's an AU, a space AU fan fiction of Temeraire. But it's mine, so I get to publish it. (laughs) yes
1: you are committed to fanfic that's amazing there's
2: nothing fan fiction i mean i use fan fiction as a shorthand term but Mm -hmm. it's for a kind of spirit of remixing Mm -hmm. and play that i think obviously exists in mainstream literary fiction you know march wicked all these books that are fan fiction
0: does it count as fan fiction if the
2: author of the universe writes it or is it just the fiction I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's sort of, but it, it I wouldn't call it *Temeraire* canon, right?
3: Uh, okay. right.
0: Okay. So you so get to
2: decide that it's fanfic yeah. at that point. Because part. it's *Lawrence* yeah. and *Temeraire*, and it's set, you know, in an era of space travel. Oh. Right. Gotcha. And they're on another planet. And, and how
1: would you explain that otherwise? Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: And they've never met before, so it's ah, you're right. that is so cool. Yeah. I gotta read that. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: Going back to the fanfiction thing that you mentioned earlier about you've written person of interest fanfiction. is this anywhere that we can actually read it because i would love to (laughs) um
2: i write under the fan name astolat astolat like the elaine the maid of astolat which i took because shallot was taken on a bunch of internet sites after i had used it on one you know Mm. how many people you know that annoying thing where Mm. everybody moves to a new site and you suddenly go to that site and your name your username the one that is yours damn it is taken. <laughs> like those bastards took my user. Who is that person? I know. And you yeah. go to their page, and there are like five things on it, and you're like, er. I mm.
1: could have written circles around here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking more like Twitter. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah.
1: Still applies, so I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yes. Yeah, so my cool. stuff and my stuff is on the archive of our own.
0: Nice. Next question. Over there in the middle. Nice shirt. We got a sword and laser shirt over here, old
1: school. Um, that's why I come here.. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Anne McCaffrey's pern novels. um were Are there any other people who stand out as influences to you that have uh, that have helped inspire uh, the Temeraire series?
2: I would say Robin McKinley's um the The Hero in the Crown and the blue sword are were really important books to me growing up. Um, I think uh, Patricia McKillop, Ursula Le Guin... These are, these are sort of the writers of my heart. Tolkien, obviously, um, and I'm trying to think. Of, I mean, Patrick O'Brien was a much more recent influence. I only found him just actually just before I wrote the Temeraire books. And he was sort of the spark that made me go back to that period, to the Regency and Jane Austen and Georgette Heyer that I'm also a huge fan of. And who else? I guess I love Rex Stout. His near wolf books, which are mystery, but it's just a different kind of, it still have, has that kind of sort of vanished zing to it. I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle. I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and, yeah. me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Got another question? Just uh, yeah, just. Hi, I'm a huge fan of the
3: books. I, I love the books. Um, my question for you is this. Do you have an intended plan for how you want to finish everything, or are you just going to let it go in its own direction?
2: I, I feel like the Temeraire series ends with the end of the Napoleonic Wars. That's, that's the kind of arc. I mean, I feel that there are many things that have started in the books that we don't see that aren't going to be neatly tied off with a bow, because life doesn't get neatly tied off with a bow. And there are many characters who will continue on past the end of the books. I'm not gonna kill everybody, it's not gonna be rocks <laughs> <while> everyone <laughs> dies. Um, but I do think that there are certain things that I want to end at the end of the book and I've known how I kind of wanted to end it for a while.
0: It'd be kinda of funny if New, you know, if it goes grimdark <laughs> on us. Yeah. Just at the very so. just at the end of the very last the book. Red you're like, What? Movie? Yeah.
2: Actually there was this uh, there was um there's this interesting conversation on Twitter just started the other day by Gail Simone where she my themes are and she was asking writers to tweet what they thought their themes were Mm -hmm. and I actually said that one of my themes is optimism and I think that's absolutely true I am I'm the opposite of grimdark I get very impatient with grimdark
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Coming out of the Napoleonic Age, it was there was a lot of optimism. it was grim,
2: dark enough. No,
1: well, it, like well, during yeah, the war, I mean, There's
2: definitely all sorts of. Uh, that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, many I I have killed many a character in my books and had many people sad about some of those characters, but uh, and it's a book about war, and in war people do die. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a different thing from a kind of spirit of optimism in general, where it's not. Everything is not going to be terrible and bleak. And it's not a single person against the world kind of thing. It's I want to see. I'm interested in seeing cooperation and collaboration. And I feel that that's, that's what actually needs to triumph. Great. Any other questions?
1: Keep them coming. I have, a, I have a question while you find the next person. So put your hands up. Uh, no, seriously, put your hands up. <laughs> uh, I, when you're talking about earlier about being sort of an author coder still, uh, and you mentioned remix culture, have you ever thought about coding a story, or or somehow combining those those two?
2: I have. Um, I've actually, but the thing is, I feel like if I was going to do that, I actually go ahead and build a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have thought about doing that. It's just honestly the time commitment to sit down and do it, and I can, and I've actually kind of got a little bit addicted to the, to sort of the freedom of the novel, you know, especially that being able to sort of decide and not have to worry about is this actually accomplishable <laughs> technically. And so, but I definitely feel like I can imagine writing some interactive fiction, um, building an actual game.
1: Text adventures.
2: Game. I love oh, text adventures cool. so much. Oh, Infocom. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes. I mean, I've worked, I actually built and... Uh, coded and played on mushes online. Oh, nice. Yes, any of you old school. We are. Yeah, we are at least.
1: Who's got our next question? Uh, I was wondering, what is your environment like when you write? Like, do you sit on a couch or a desk, or what's that like? I
2: I have a desk and a and a I am I am on the Mac side of the force, Um, so I largely write on just a you know desktop. Mac and uh, and I also have a Mac Air that I travel with, um, and I will sometimes write on my iPhone with documents to go, which I love because mm. I have everything everything in Dropbox. Dropbox saves my life because I have multiple computers. That I have to work on because sometimes I go home and sometimes I have an office that I go to, and so being able to move from space to space. But you,
0: but you back up anyway, too, right? You back
1: up.
2: Well, I have Packrat, and okay. I have backups on all three computers. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get very
0: nervous when people say they only have it in one place. But well,
1: she's okay. got Dropbox, so it got syncs, drop- syncs well, it's synced across yeah. multiple. I've heard, computers.
2: but I've heard scary things about Dropbox. That, that has happened that, to Ryan. That makes a local, Anna. Uh, yeah. It I've had, I've had accidents yeah. with Dropbox that are sure terrifying, where everything just suddenly seems to disappear and it looks like your Dropbox has been deleted but it's just a, it, I'm sorry, it's just a giant pain in the butt and you yeah. have to go through and restore yeah. things. Yeah. It's, a versioning. it's all there.
1: We're slipping into a different topic of a podcast. I, I
2: know, because of the tech, the tech nerds too. Are I'm, like easily, I'm easily distracted by talking about tech. Me too. Yeah. Has anybody too. seen pictures of the new iPhone screen being stabbed with a knife?
1: Oh yeah, by, by Marcus. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Nice.
2: Go ahead.
3: I uh, I particularly enjoy the uh the series I kind of stumbled onto it a little while back but one thing I really like about it is how all of the different cultures basically like every dragons have a different sort uh, job role in every society and I was just wondering how you kind of came up with that ideas for say in South America like okay well I own the dragons I own these people and so and that's sort, that sort of thing like did you just look at it like Okay, here's their society. Now, how would the introduction of dragons change that? Was that sort of what you did?
2: Absolutely. I basically knew sort of by the second book in the series that I wanted that I wanted relationships between people and dragons to be radically different in different cultures where there was a relationship. Some some cultures there isn't one. There are some countries where there's where dragons and people basically live completely independently of one another. But in the societies where dragons have formed relationships, I wanted them to all be distinct. And what I generally do when I'm building that kind of relationship is frequently I, I have one element, which is I'd like it to be distinct from the other relationships. And then the other piece is looking at that society, at that culture, thinking about what's going on in that culture at that time. So, for instance, with the Inca, um, of course, at this time, a large number of the, of the human population had died due to the pandemics because of lacking disease resistance to European diseases that were brought over. And as a result, I thought, you know, what? how would dragons who... My idea was that before the introduction of those diseases, there was a society where dragons essentially were part of a family unit and derived their honor and status from that family unit, and how well that family unit was doing, and how well all their people were doing, and then what happened is, okay, so the people suddenly start dying, what does that do to the dragons whose sense of self-worth is bound up in protecting their, their human family? and that's basically where how i evolved the relationship that the dragons become much more anxious and much more possessive and protective of their people and at the same time you know so other other cultures i feel like that's quite interesting that's more fun for me as a writer to d- discover what dragons and people how dragons and people interact in the, each different society
1: do you intentionally model it on any relationships we have with animals now like there's i've read things recently how like cats see us as the pets essentially (laughs) um do do you do you you research that or you just sort of feel it out i don't
2: really research that specifically i feel like there's definitely an element of it i think that you know what people when people see i've had people tell me that they see that kind of relationship that they think of as having that kind of relate, Temer and Lawrence's relationship and they map it um, or they map other dragon human relationships. And I think that what that's getting at is, you know, how do you form a bond? How do you form a relationship, um, one with love, with something, a creature so far removed from you that thinks in a completely alien way and how you sort of assign meaning to that, and how you think that think creature assigns meaning to what you do, you know, like what the heck does my cat think about me going out of the house every day, um, and then coming back at the same time, and what does the cat think I'm doing, right? And I think that that uh, that kind of attempt to bridge a gulf is what we're is what people are reacting to, and I think that's that's absolutely real. That's something that I am trying to do in the books is make the dragons feel. Like an alien, like a different species.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have pets?
2: I do not, sadly. I'm super allergic. Oh. I grew up. I grew That's up with a, a cat, okay. but then like allergies. But I have a three and a half year old now. I think you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you should tell people that if you can't yeah. have a dragon, you just won't have any pets. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Tinier dragon maybe yeah. would be a good pet. Any other questions? Great.
1: Would you ever dabble in? Uh, Writing in any other genre, whether it's like comedy
2: or like a murder mystery after the series is over. I feel like i I actually have thought about writing sort of science fictional fantasy outright comedy. Um, yes, I think that I don't know. I mean, I, whenever I try to write something, you know, my the way that I frequently think is, you know, so this is the Napoleonic Wars. Wouldn't it be more awesome with dragons? And so anytime I'm thinking of something sort of mundane, some part of my head is always like, but you know what? It would just be that much more awesome if only there was like magic, or if there was, you know, fairies or elves or something. And in fact, the new book that I that I started writing here is basically a search and rescue team parachuting into elfland. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but that's but it's I want to ask
1: you so many questions about that. I, I just, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's amazing. That, which is good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Any more questions? Just flag us down. Raise your hand. Uh, We're going to be giving away a copy of your next book.
2: Yes. This one's coming
1: out in June
2: 2015.
1: Yep. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: And it is, as I mentioned, there's a short story, a Polish fairy tale called Agnieszka Skradek Nieba, which means Agnieszka, Piece of the Sky. And my mother used to read this fairy tale to me when I was very small. And it's not translated into English, as far as I know. And it's about this young girl who goes into a wood, an enchanted, terrible wood near her home, and manages to defeat the evil wizard who has enchanted it. Mm. And it really resonated with me, the, um, the, the power and the heroism of her courage. And the sort of key line of that story is the people on the other side of the wood are just like us. And it's a story. It's interesting because, in many ways, this also picked up a lot of other fairy tale influences. Um, Beauty and the Beast is a big influence here. Um, but there are also sort of little cameos, little touches from various fairy tales. But then it became a much more. It's not a fairy tale novel exactly. It's a. It's a fantasy universe. I also. I love Guy Gabriel K. And I was inspired by some of the ways that he takes historical places and leaves them and keeps the sense of place
0: like the lines of al Rasan I think is a good great example of that yeah
2: yeah I love I love song for our bun that's mm-hmm. my that's my personal little it caught me early and but those the way that he takes a historical place and infuses it with fantasy and removes it a little bit but still keeps a lot of this grounding mm-hmm. um, that uh, that and that's something that also inspired this and essentially so yes it's a story about um, story about Agnieszka alright
1: we're going to give away a copy of this I have, I have an idea oh you do because I you. have an idea what's too. what's your idea
2: well, I've got two. So.
0: Well, I thought it'd be fun to do see if Naomi had a trivia question that we could pop out to the audience. I don't want to put you on the spot, but if there's something you can think of to ask the audience, and if the fans can get it,
1: good idea. What oh. was your idea? That was my first idea, oh. and then I was like, "What if she doesn't have one, <laughs> 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 or can't think of a good one, or thinks of one too hard?" Uh, but why don't we try that? Okay. If, right. if, if you can think of, if All you right. think of a I'm question, to think, um, you think um, of a I'm question. My think other think idea, which we could use for the other book. Um, uh, would be a title. So throw out titles of the show suggestion.
0: Oh, titles for the show right. suggestion. Okay, you know, like That's good something. Cause something. We always have snappy, fun titles for the show. You know. Yeah.
1: To to make the title of the show, and then we just judge.
0: I was just gonna do Dragon Con. We're at Dragon Con. Yeah. Again.
1: So Dragon Con. There's 2014. your bar.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: if you
2: can beat that, you might get a Yeah.
0: But I I like the trivia idea better if you've got something. All right,
2: uh, 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 mm. hmm. It can be as easy or as hard as you want. All right, um, all right, I'm sorry, I'm gonna make it silly. What's the name of the Kozilek Dragon in the Temeraire series?
1: The Kozilek Dragon.
2: (laughs) Oh, all right, we got a hand up. What
1: is the name?
0: Is Kirka? Yes. Yay! <laughs>
2: <Yay>.
0: <laughs> two people benefit. That is awesome. All right, we had the correct I'm happy answer. We designed it
2: for you too. After the show, yay!
0: Um, so, do you want to do have another one, or should we do the title question?
2: Do the title question. I okay. want to see what. Okay.
1: Who's, who's got, got title ideas? Anybody? Anybody got one? We got a couple. All right, just just go to your nearest person.
0: Yeah. How are we going to vote on that one, though? Well, Popular acclaim.
1: Going on game design. I was going to say tap tap temerir.
0: Tap, tap, (laughs) Temeraire. All right. Tap, 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 Temeraire.
1: I'll write these down.
0: You should. That's good. That's a good idea, Tom. (laughs) Cyborg dragons.
1: Cyborg dragons. Okay. Hey, there's no bad ideas in a brainstorming session. This is not a brainstorming session. The dragon, the dragon has, has been, been conned.
0: Been, uh, all right, that's ripping off Night Attack, but we'll okay. Yeah,
1: right.
0: Justin's in the back. Does that rip off Night Attack too much? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Justin Robert Young, the host of Night Attack, has ruled that, that rips off Night Attack too much. Uh, was there another one right here? Dragon con. No, really, dragons. Dragon con.
0: Dragon con. No, really, dragons. Okay. It's actually all right. All hand right. up in the air. The,
3: the oh. dragon complex. That's
1: so, <laughs> clever. Say it again. What has? It's a dragon. It's a dragon. Okay, yeah, let make sure I got it right. It's a dragon complex.
0: Dra- should we say like dragonic complex? Would that make more?
3: What is it? Dragon <laughs>
0: complex. <laughs> Complex. I was wondering about that, too. Mm-hmm. That's what you said. It's a dragon con... See, but if now flex. if we picks
1: that, we'll have to rip the book in half and give one to each of these. Yeah.
0: Well, no, he said it originally. I thought that's what he said. You're, yeah. okay, you're... He was just making sure we had the right title and didn't butcher it. All right. Uh, any others? Which I had. No, that's all right. All right so going we've got once,
1: going twice. By popular acclaim, I think that was a great idea. Uh, cheer for Tap Tap Temeraire. <laughs>
0: He was clapping real hard for his own. I love it. Come on. <laughs> like, I will will this I into will winning. I will find
1: all of you later. Uh, clap for Cyborg Dragons.
0: He didn't even clap for his own. <laughs> he
1: gave up on his own idea. Uh, clap for... No, we can't do the dragon
0: has been con, It has right, actually that's, been that's, disqualified. That's, that's just DQ'd here. Right.
1: DQ'd. Sorry. And it, it, clap for It's a Dragon complex. We're a winner. Congratulations. It's smart,
0: it's about dragons, and it's a pun. These and are all like my favorite things, and it's about Dragon Con, so it works
1: on like ten different levels. And now we don't have to think of a title. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we have time for a few more questions uh, about anything that uh, hits you. So throw your arms up. You have questions for us, questions about sword and laser, more questions for Naomi. Just, yeah. we got one right over here, sir. Right over or here right on there. the other side. Uh, just a few more minutes. Yeah. Does your uh, three-year-old have a favorite dragon?
2: Mm. Uh, stuffy from Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Stuffin's. Yes. We have I, I have this amazing plush Temeraire that somebody on Facebook made oh. and sent to me and he occasionally suffers the indignity of uh, of uh, having her put him down and saying, It's time for your checkup, time for your checkup <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am sorry, I hope I didn't like subject you to a to a cease and desist. No, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> I
1: think
0: we'll be I think we'll be okay. We'll, have, my, we'll just pay two. the
1: we'll pay the mechanical performance royalty right, and yeah. <laughs> we're we'll fine. Any other questions? <laughs> yeah, we've got another one here. Go. Uh, just how did you get into programming or what did you start with or anything like that so computer science yay
2: (laughs) I'm sorry what was the uh,
1: how did you get into programming how did I get
2: into programming Um, I actually started mushing when I was in my senior year of college, and fortunately I had basically completed the requirements for my English degree because otherwise I quite possibly would not have made it out on time. Um, when I discovered basically Mushing, which is an online text adventure, um, basically you build a text-based role-playing environment and you play in it with other people and you can write code, you can um, build environments and describe them. and I really got interested in doing that and quickly ran up against the limitations of of what I could do without actual um, any kind of background in computer science. And I started studying it more and more and um, eventually went back to school full time for it. and that's but uh, yeah, awesome.
1: When you code now, what kind of stuff do you do?
2: Uh, Ruby on Rails, primarily, uh-huh. um, because it's for the archive of our own, which mm-hmm. is in Ruby on Rails. Yep. This is actually for Veronica. How is your cable service now?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a little inside baseball,
1: but yes, uh, it is. We use. I don't s- know that it's that inside. That's true. <laughs> it might be more popular than our show. That's true. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's
3: there's CNN it.
0: Here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you don't know the story, Google uh, Comcast customer call from hell or something to that effect, and or my name with Comcast, and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, it's doing very well. We have a cable now, which is a small local uh, Bay Area cable provider. We get faster upload speeds, and we pay less. So suck it, Comcast. <laughs>
1: But, but I just want you to explain Never mind.
0: <laughs> but tell me why <laughs> alright All right. I think that about wraps it up let's give a big round of applause for Naomi Novik for joining us
1: A uh, couple of pieces of bookkeeping for the Sword and Laser podcast and book club audience. Uh, we will wrap up Name of the Wind and kick off Stories of Your Life by Ted Chiang next episode, uh, episode 189.
0: On the second, yeah. Uh,
1: so join us if you want. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you can find Naomi Novik's website at naominovick.com. It's N-A-O-M-I-N-O-V-I-K.com. Uh, Blood of Tyrants, as she mentioned, came out in mass market paperback July 29th. And Uprooted is up-rooted. coming out
2: June 30th, 2015. Excellent. Fantastic.
1: Thanks again, Naomi. This is My really pleasure. fun. Thank
0: yeah. you. This is heaps of fun. And if you want to stay up to date on Sword and Laser, our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on Goodreads. You can follow us at Sword and Laser or call and give us a voicemail at 415-7 Sword6. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you.
3: Bye. <laughs>